This is The Great Equalizer, a parenting podcast about the realities of being a mom or dad in modern Josie. We are your hosts, Sam and Charlene, and we believe we're all rocking the same kind of crazy. So let's get real, let's get honest, and let's have a laugh about the ups and downs of our current upside down. Hashtag no judges. This week on The Great Equalizer, no one cares about Sam or Charlene because we have Autism South Africa in studio with us and we're talking neurodiversity. Hello. Hello. Uh, How are you? I'm fine. Nice rainy Friday. Nice rainy Friday. So if anybody is, um, you know, hearing a little something, something in the background, it's because we're cozied up in our studio Um you know, braving the rain in, in April. Charlene, though, it's it's a bit funny. I'm getting a funny feeling because I feel like there's something between us. <laughs> Is there someone else? Yes, Sam. Uh, let's talk about the elephant in the room. Yes, Charlene, that's <laughs> bloody rude. We have a guest. <laughs> it's not quite an elephant, but a human being. Hello, Hello Vicky. Vicky. Hi, guys. Guys, we're joined by Vicky Lamb. Vicky? Who are you? What are you doing in my studio? <laughs> <laughs> I'm from Autism South Africa. I'm the education specialist um, where I do training. I work with parents. I do parent support, teacher support, classroom support. Um, but my main role at the moment is training and developing new training material for our organization. And has this week been a busy week? Because crazy. just on Tuesday, we've had International mm. or World, 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 Autism, World Autism, Autism Awareness Day. Yep, and we're trying to change that phrasing to World Autism Acceptance Day. Mm-hmm. Um, right. So, again, a lot of the autistic adults say, we've got the awareness, we're done with awareness, please can you start accepting us? So, we're going with Acceptance Day at the moment, but it's been a crazy week, yes. Oh, crazy but good. <laughs> crazy but good. That's good. Nice. So listen, what, what exactly does Autism South Africa do? We are considered the national body for autism within South Africa, and that entails advocacy and lobbying and that type of stuff for, for the rights of people who are on the spectrum, working with government, sometimes working against government and fighting with them to get those rights realised, um, training, as I mentioned, parent support, teacher support, but also support for autistic adults and, and people that are on the spectrum themselves. So we work a lot with, with those guys as well. Really easy job. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah, it just sounds like you easy breezy. You Walk just, in the park. Yeah. Uh, some days. <laughs> I, I highly, highly doubt that. Um, yeah, tell me a little bit about uh, Autism Awareness Month or Autism Acceptance Month. I've actually named this episode uh, Autism Acceptance Month. Ah, yay. Uh, so it's essentially why you're here. And uh, Autism Acceptance Month 2019 for ASA um the theme is embracing neurodiversity. So tell me a little bit more about that. So there's a big movement out there internationally for us to start moving towards something called neurodiversity. So just as we've got diversity within cultures and races, it's it's a movement that says, okay, but now we need diversity with different thinking patterns and different thinking styles. So one of the kind of more socially accepted things about autism is that we look at it as a different way of seeing and thinking and and perceiving the world. I love that. So it Mm. is cool. It's really awesome. So neurodiversity is kind of going along with that saying autistic people have different brains and let's stop seeing them as 
a disorder or a, not necessarily a disability, but more as something wrong with them as they're just different and start embracing that. But I think you mentioning the word disability is something that is I went wrong with society is probably the wrong way to say it, but I think is a challenge within society because um, not being educated on the topic or not understanding it uh, completely, automatically it's the human condition to to default to when something's not normal or yeah. something's out of the ordinary or something's a little bit different, then there's got to be something wrong, which means that person has a disability. Absolutely. And, and so and that's why I love this. shouldn't be wrong. It, it's, as exactly. you said, it's part of normal human Who decides? Conditions. Who decides what is normal and what is not exactly. normal? It's, it's diversity. So that's why I love it. I think it's fantastic. So, Vicky, I'm so glad I met you. <laughs> I'm glad I met you, Sam. (laughs) Uh, Because I'm a little bit clueless. I have to say, I don't... Do you have any autistic people in your life, Charlene? I don't. I've got some who I suspect may be on the spectrum, which I think... And I'm not saying that uh, facetiously or to be funny or anything. I really genuinely think it's more common than... uh, than then we, we realise. Mm, mm. And uh, we'll get to a little bit about how broad that spectrum actually mm-hmm. is. Um, but I, what I want to communicate in today's episode is while it's really difficult for moms out there, moms with autistic kids, and even more so with autistic people themselves, like I mentioned, we as outsiders who don't know anybody with kids who have autism or um, autistic people themselves who are really struggling, we're at a bit of a loss, actually. We're uneducated, you know? Yeah, you're right. So TV shows and movies have dictated to us how we should view autism. So if an average Joe doesn't have an autistic person in their life, or if they even have just one type of autistic person in their life, then they have a preconceived idea of what the person is. Yeah, so what I was you know, sort of intimating towards that I'm getting that the spectrum is a lot broader than what we realise, Vicky, right? Yep, you're very, very right. It's very broad. Um, And we have many different types of people on the spectrum, right? From, you know, it could be your next door neighbour to that that you wouldn't even realise is on the spectrum, but they seem to be coping okay in life. Um, They are still getting support very probably from somewhere or they've learned coping techniques to to help them get through their daily lives. So, And then we have people who are what we call non-speaking and require very high levels of support. And what's interesting is the statistics on autism tell us that even those guys that are, are non-speaking and have very high levels of support often have average to above average IQs. But they are so often put down as having an intellectual disability as well. I think there's a reason why the technical term for someone who can't speak is sort of mute or dumb, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And then dumb also doubles in the English language as being stupid. Exactly. Because Mm. you perceive someone who's nonverbal and doesn't speak as being doff, like you can't get through to them, when actually it is probably quite the opposite. Mm. And they're listening the whole time. And, you know, it's the one thing I always say to parents, particularly when we've got kids who've got the communication challenges and aren't able to communicate verbally, I'll say, guys, please be careful what you're saying in front of these kids because you don't know what they're actually taking in. And often they're understanding a lot more than what we give them credit for. Mm. I can just imagine how it must feel as Mm. an individual who is so much more susceptible to every single thing they hear. I'm not a fan of too much noise. So when I'm concentrating, I'm doing something and there's an alarm or something going off in the background, my kid's yelling, I'll often say to my husband, 
there's too much input. I mean, mm. just can you can something mm. be eliminated here? I cannot imagine what it must be like to live in that world for that individual. And then you don't have the communication ability like you do to say to your husband, too please much. take something away because mm. this is too much. Instead, you're having a meltdown. People think you're being naughty. And now you've got more people screaming and chatting at it's you. It's just too much input. Yeah. Mm. Gosh. Okay. We talk about the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. right? And in my mind and how autism has been explained to me is that the spectrum is linear it's one long line, and if your child is on the spectrum, he or she is somewhere on that line. Yeah. But I've met you before, <laughs> and I've spoken to you before, <laughs> and it is not so. That's it. It is officially – so, so talk to me, there are two things. There's an official term, terminology and sort of brackets for types of autism, but then unofficially there's something that, that people and autistic people – um, are more inclined to to see themselves as. So explain, I'm not explaining it properly, I'm going to leave that up to you. Talk to us about firstly the official sort of designations for autistic people and then tell me about that little unofficial tidbit that I, cool. that I so love. <laughs> so officially we have three different levels of autism and that's according to your diagnostic criteria. So you've got level one, which is your low support. You've got level two, which is in your moderate support and level three, which is your high support. And typically what we see to happen is that doctors will get a child into their waiting room and they will say, okay, this child is not communicating verbally, so they are probably level three autism. So not always, but very often we see that verbal communication ability is assigned to whichever level the kid is on. So those kids that can speak completely fine, appear all right, those are the kids that then get put under level one. Um, but if when you start interacting with the autistic community, you start to understand that there's a lot more to it than just that linear line and you are either right at the beginning or right at the end. And it's more like a, a circle or um, a sphere almost where they will say to you, okay, I have got strengths in verbal communication, but I, I don't have such good strengths in my sensory processing or I don't, you know, or I'm strong in reasoning or that type of thing. So it really depends on what their strengths and their abilities and their weaknesses are. And so even our labels of high support and low support are sometimes not great because they have high support areas Mm. within their autism and low support areas within their autism. So we can't actually definitively put someone in a box and say, you are high support and you are low support because they're going to have different areas. And I suppose it's like that for the general population. We all kind of have strengths and weaknesses we all need more support in certain areas than in other areas right you know what this makes me think of when you do a personality test and you pinpoint little dots on the right and left hemispheres of the brain Mm -hmm. and there's often four quadrants that denote you know personality or temperament or intelligence or whatever the there's always a different one as per the personality test why can we put um, in a typical person's sort of brain in a in a more complicated where there's a grayscale way of looking at stuff, you know, sort of that's not just black and white. Look at your brain. You can have a little bit of right brain tendencies and a little bit of left or it's one or the other. But we're looking at ourselves um, in a more complex light and then we're taking autistic people and autism itself. We have and so we, many more facets to right? who they are and we don't do that. And we're making them. it linear. Yes. We're boxing it up. Mm, makes no so sense. True. Um, I think part of the reason is, you know, we we haven't done enough research with autistic people themselves. 
And that's one of their biggest complaints is, guys, you're talk ignoring the autistic adult. I'm the one living with it, not you. So come and talk to me. Mm. Um, so I think that's part of the reason. I think the other reason is a lot of autistic people don't do well on those formalized standardized tests for various reasons. So, But it's definitely an interesting area to look into. And I've seen on some of the Facebook groups, some of the autistic guys have started doing those personality quizzes to start seeing exactly what is the almost personality type of autistic people. And that's going to differ for everyone. Mm. I love it. I love it. It's uh, so all about inclusivity, mm-hmm. which is what this podcast is actually about. It's a mm-hmm. parenting podcast, but we, we don't want to leave anybody out. And I feel so strongly about this. I feel like this is a community and I've seen it in the, in the people that I've interviewed uh, for the purpose of the show and otherwise they, they don't have a voice. Mm. This community, it's, it's an invisible disorder and if you can call it a disorder even, I'm not sure. I think we should, we should move on from that, you know? Mm. It's invisible and it's um, unheard and it's kind of marginalized and boxed up. Nobody wants to look at it. It's interesting you say about the disorder. A lot of autistic people are saying, can we start calling it a condition? So instead mm. of having autism spectrum disorder, we have autism spectrum condition, which yeah. I think is quite cool. Yeah, I think so. Because let's be honest, when someone has diabetes, you don't really look at it as well you've got a you've got a disorder you've got diabetes it's it's, it's a, a condition, condition. Mm, exactly it's a condition. and it doesn't make you less of a person you have to change your lifestyle to yeah. to live with it and learn to live with it maybe follow a specific diet f- take some medication depending on where you are but there's also type a type b so and importantly other people respect that yes. you go to a kitchen tea and someone will be like i'm very aware that you are diabetic so i have this for you mm. Mm. and people like i would you know if i knew that someone uh, had type 1 diabetes and was coming to my house i'd be Just like make okay. sure something was available there's for something them. available yes. for you That's hello it. why aren't we doing that mm. for all autistic people guys so <laughs> in the spirit of diversity um i have hit up a few individuals who are on the ground they are in it not like me and you Charlene. we are not in <laughs> no, it no 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 we're definitely <laughs> not in it um but i want to learn from them and so are you guys ready to hear from them cool yeah. let's do it Please remember, what we say on this podcast can only be considered the gospel on planets Sam and Charlene, respectively. Our kids and husbands can be assholes and angels at the same time. And only we're allowed to say so. And lastly, by virtue of the fact that we are women and it comes naturally to us, we reserve the right to change our minds and or contradict ourselves whenever we so choose. And we don't want to hear a damn thing about it. Hashtag no judges. Okay, guys, so I've hit up a few moms and um, other people, um, which I'll leave for the end as a surprise, but a few moms who um, have autistic children. And um, yeah, so I've listened to their inputs and um, I'd like to contextualize for you and for our listeners sort of where they're coming in because I can't play, unfortunately, I can't play the full um, uh, voice note that they did send me. Um, so yeah, to introduce our first caller, um, it's a Durban-based mom. Her name is Tammy. Tammy has two boys, 18 months apart, both of whom are adopted. Uh, for, so for personal reasons, Tammy likes to keep her firstborn son out of the spotlight, but she is more open 
open about her second son, Eli, um, a.k.a. the serial offender is what I've named this, <laughs> this voice note. Are these boys uh, uh, adopted from different parents? Different parents. They weren't siblings no. to begin with. Okay. No. So, guys, Tammy's full description of this kid, if you listen to her full voice notes, I wish I had time to share it with you. Uh, he has me at the heartstrings. He just sounds like a bloody naughty bugger. <laughs> <laughs> um, he's spirited. He's unafraid of authority. He's very aware of himself and his rights. Like, you don't have the right to call me that. You don't have... He's 10. I mean, you know, he just sounds like he couldn't give a fuck. He's obviously a very, very intelligent child <laughs> if he can so. identify For things sure. in that way. At that age. Definitely autistic, by the sounds of it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Yeah, it, it makes... It uh, kind of draws me to him a little bit not that I would be brave enough to parent him but I'm sure if I was if he chose me to be his parents I'd like I'd be up for the challenge (laughs) (laughs) so okay I don't want to glamorize autism like you also don't want to be like haha okay he's a cute kid shame and then actually this mom's she struggles she Mm. does she said so she said some nights nights she goes to bed and she's like I don't know if I can do this all over again tomorrow it's it's hard so to give you a little bit of insight of, of what he struggles with and what she struggles with as his mom, um, Eli has an extremely short fuse, really poor impulse control, and a very scary temper. Um, his mom spends a lot of days at her wit's end, like I mentioned. And um, since otherwise behavior started rearing its ugly head, you know, sort of in toddlerhood and, and a bit later, I guess she's been looking for answers. Um, so Eli, like I mentioned, is 10, but is, is newly diagnosed with autism. And it looks like the family has finally found a way forward, um, tough though it may be. Um, so have a listen. My name's Tammy. Um, you reached out to me um, on Instagram to talk about my son who is autistic. We only got a diagnosis in November of 2018 after um, just so looking into so many reasons why he is just uh, different. He's just um, not not fitting in with, with uh, you know, so socially acceptable behavior. He, he's actually uh, physically threatened some of his teachers at school. He's um, been... Um, I don't know what the right word is, very aggressive towards some other children for small things. It's like he doesn't have a, um, he's got no reflex control. So his fuse is very short. He loses his temper fast. He started grade one in a remedial school, um, which was was a short-term remedial school, but um, subsequently moved after two years to a long-term remedial school for special needs children. So he is there and he's been there a few years now. He's in grade five now. Uh, He's a bright child. Um, Just uh, amazing the things he remembers and um, how he can get engrossed in topics for hours. Yet he's ADHD and his marks are poor. But he's, he's deeply insecure and he has no... Uh, self-confidence in himself. I think if I were to answer the question, what do you think it feels like to, to be autistic? I think the, the main thing would just be lonely and misunderstood. 
if I think about how he feels, uh, he's he's a little person in a big world, which for him is, he can't understand why it's so hard when maybe it looks easy for other people to just do regular things. That's if he's thinking that far into it. But I just feel that he he probably feels very alone and um, very isolated. He knows that he's different, but he doesn't know why. We haven't told our children that he's autistic. I don't actually know how to. I don't know how to even use the right terminology. Um, I probably have said things here that maybe aren't PC about, um, you know, using the correct terminology. I think my main goal for him was would be that he would be included, um, that he would feel like he belonged. Sure. Okay, so that, having listened to just that snippet, it brings a lot of questions. But I think two key things that I want to ask about, having listened to that, Vicky, maybe you can help us with this, is she's saying that she thinks this child feels isolated and feels like this in this big world and lost and whatever. So first of all, maybe you can answer us this. How do you communicate to your autistic child that they are different? And then secondly, um, how do you even begin to keep up with the changing terminologies and the PC terms and as it changes daily? And how do you do that communication with avoiding making them feel more isolated? Yeah, it's it's such a hard if one. If you even have an answer for these <laughs> questions. <laughs> um, it, it's such a hard one. And it's, it's one, the first question about how you... How do you communicate to your child that they're autistic? Do you even communicate to your child that they're autistic? Because exactly as you said, if you tell your child they're autistic, are we not going to isolate them even more? Mm. Um, what's interesting is what's happening in the autistic community is there's a big autistic pride movement where they're very happy and very proud to be autistic. So they will tell you, absolutely tell your child that they're autistic and explain it to them and give them a breakdown. And the reason why they're doing that is because if you know that, okay, I have autism and this means that I have these challenges in life, I know that there's a reason for it. Yeah, because I think the not knowing That's to it. me would be, I suppose it depends from person to person. Absolutely. But not knowing, you won't know how to navigate it. So when something happens to you, you can be like, okay, this is just that thing. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. It's my autism. It's not yes. me just being difficult or naughty. I, there's actually a reason why I'm doing There's nothing X, wrong with me. Yes. And if even when I speak to adults who get their diagnosis late in life, so if they are diagnosed as an adult, they will say to me after they've received that diagnosis, you know, it's such a relief because I now know that as a child, when I did this, whatever they did, it wasn't because I was being difficult or defiant or naughty. It was actually because I had autism. And now I understand why I do certain things the way I do. Mm. So it tends to give adults a sense of relief. Um, and I think for children, and you've got to approach it very, very carefully and, and diplomatically, but it gives children a sense of, okay, now I understand myself better. Um, and the, one of the ways to do it is to say to them, okay, yes, you have autism. There are challenges to having autism, but there's also strengths to it. And you mentioned earlier, Sam, about glamorizing autism, and that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to just explain in such a way that they can see that just like everyone else has challenges and strengths and abilities, so do you, and your autism brings more of the strengths and more other challenges to you and it's about us accepting that and now moving forward and working on a way forward 
and how to help you. So what would your advice be to Tammy who, I mean, November was just the other day. (laughs) Yeah. So, and she's got these two boys who have been in a remedial school both Mm. from early and she needs to tell the one that his brother has autism and this is why maybe don't do that. You know, it was just April Fool's Day and she was telling me how the elder brother wanted to play a trick on the younger brother and she's just like, maybe don't. Yeah. <laughs> because he's not going, he doesn't understand. She told me, told me um, he was born without a sense of humor. And that's, <laughs> that's just, it's very like, hello are you joking or aren't you joking like I don't you need to tell me you know Mm. he's that type of a person and um you know so I guess it would help for his sibling to understand and as you mentioned for him so what would that first port of call be do you get a third party involved do you sit as a parent with with the child it's so tricky. I think um, it and depends I think on the family. Exactly it does depend on the family and I think it depends on how comfortable you as a mom or a dad um or even a caregiver how comfortable are you approaching that subject? And mm. do you have all the facts at your fingertips? And it's about knowing your child really well. Mm. Because I can sit and give you, you know, these are the strengths of autism. These are the challenges of autism. I can't tell you what your child's good at and what mm. your child's not good at. That, that's a parent's, that's where parents play a massive, massive role. Mm. Um, so it's almost about looking at your child and, and seeing, okay, yes, you're good at these things and maybe we need to help you with some of these things. I'm so glad you said that because that ties in with our next caller, Judy. Um, just about kind of identifying your, who your children are and being that mom to them. You know your child best. Yeah. Judy knows her children um, and she has seven of them. I'll let that sink in. Oh my God. Seven. <laughs> seven. She's well got an amazing story. Um, which we won't go into, but um, I've got to say, two of her seven children, two, um, have Asperger's. Now, it's no longer called Asperger's, Vicky. Can you explain that? Am I swearing in the autism community by saying that word? Why aren't we allowed to say Asperger's anymore? Depends who you're talking to. Okay. Um, so some autistic people will still use the word Asperger's. Some of them call themselves Aspies. And, you know, often when autistic people call in and they tell me they've got Asperger's, that's your call. That's how you identify. I, I'll go along with it. Um, technically speaking, medically speaking, it's no longer a diagnosis. They have put it under the umbrella of autism spectrum disorder now. So, and that's where our level one, level two, level three come into play. Okay, cool. So, uh, Judy's boys were diagnosed about thirteen or fourteen years ago. Um, so, bear in mind that before you hang her at the stake, please, listeners. Um, This is how she's quite capably managing her family dynamics by still using the term Asperger's. She says Asperger's, um, tomato, tomato. And sometimes semantics is just semantics. So So she's got more than one child with the condition. Yes. Okay. Yes, you'll hear from her. So let's, let's hear from Judy. She'll explain it. Hi, I'm Judy. I'm an autistic mom. I have two sons who have Asperger's. The one is 23 and the other is 18. The eldest boy was diagnosed when he was 10. Um, I had taken him to specialists before. He was nonverbal until he was four. And I was told that he was just lazy and I was an overbearing mother. Um, many years later, I was running a private school and we actually had specialists come in to assess two of my other children who had Prader-Willi and Down syndrome. And at the same time, they did assessments on Sean and, and my youngest one, Ronan. 
and um, that is how we actually picked up the diagnosis. At the time, Ronan was five and Sean was 10. I think, and, and I only speak from from Asperger's, but I think that if, if I look at, at Sean and the, the years that he was nonverbal, just because he was nonverbal did not mean that he was not intelligent. It also did not mean that he didn't know what we were saying. So people would say, they would speak about him in front of him and things like that would really annoy me. Um, he, he may before um, and not speak back to you, but he was able to communicate and he understood each thing we did. It's really difficult for, for people to understand that kind of struggle unless you've seen it or been there. And, you know, I've watched them take twice as long as a sibling or a friend to do something, but they do it. And I think that that is the biggest thing. For me, it would be don't ever underestimate a child who is autistic. They are much smarter and much more capable than we give them credit for. Okay, so that's quite an interesting one because I'm listening to where she says, at first I took him to the doctor and they said I was just being an overbearing mom. So my question on that to you, Vicky, is what would you say to any of our listeners or a mom who might suspect or maybe doesn't suspect and people are saying, have you had him tested for autism? Or they might suspect it and then take the kid to a doctor or a specialist or someone and then get told, no, you're just overbearing. Do you persevere? Is it a trust your gut thing? What would your advice be? Because, I mean, you don't want to be ignorant and just think, okay, maybe it's nothing. But you don't want to be um, uh, overbearing or neurotic. Um. You know, we get this often at, at our office where we get parents phoning in saying, I'm a little bit concerned, what do I do? And my first question is, what does your gut tell you? Okay. I'm a big believer in moms know their kids really, really well. And the only expert on the child is the parents. Um, so what is your gut? What is that telling you? Is it telling you that there is something going on that maybe your child isn't developing typically? Um, also look at some of the signs that are out there on autism. What, what are you noticing about your child? If you are really concerned, then yes, go to a pediatrician and, and don't back down because often we get moms who will come to me and they'll say, you know, we went to the pediatrician when he was three because I was concerned and the pediatrician turned around and said, you know what, he's a boy, he's a slow talker, he's a slow developer, this, this, this and the whole thing. And two years later, the child has been diagnosed with autism. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's very important that moms go with that instinct that say, okay, hang on, something's not quite right, let's investigate this further. Um, and we've got a list of pediatricians and professionals that can help on our website. I love so it. So I suppose like with anything, if your gut tells you that yeah. something is not a hundred percent, you feel that there's something that needs attention or support. Mm. It might not be autism, but it could be. Could be something else as well. Don't ignore your gut. Absolutely. I have to uh, chip in here to say one of two things. Firstly, if you are a mom listening or a dad listening and you have that uh, nagging instinct, your first put of call, am I right, Vicky, would be to go onto ASA's website, um, which is? Uh, AutismSouthAfrica.org. Okay. And then also just thinking about this, if you do go onto that website and you do read through the criteria or what defines Mm. the autism spectrum and you read that and you're like, no, no, it's definitely not my kid. 
there's something giving you that gut mm. feel. So Go and don't ignore up. that. Exactly, if, follow it up. If, the, if those things on the spectrum don't tick the boxes of your kid, it could be something else. could be play therapy, occupational therapy, something right. you might just need. But I want to counteract that with... Don't and yeah, go and see that specialist. Mm. Don't uh, doctor Google this. We mm. always yes. tell our mm. listeners, don't doctor Google Absolutely. anything. Because I went and had a look at that list of signs and symptoms, I suppose. And, um, you know, sort of, you don't want to call it red flags be- for this reason. Because I look at it and I'm like, my toddler, who is now two, mm. displays many of those characteristics yes. because mm. he's a bloody toddler. Mm. Tantrums? Well, two-year-olds, you know, like you can't, there's, mm. there's so many. And, and so we'll, we'll get to that a little bit later, what exactly those, those signs are. We don't want to call it red flags, right? No, no, we don't. Why? it's not a danger. It's, Why? it's not a danger and it's also, it puts that negative spin back onto autism right. and says that there is something wrong with the child when essentially we, we, we're trying to move away from that. So we now call it signs of autism, yeah. Got it, okay. Um, so Judy went on to say that one of the biggest struggles for autism moms is the sheer exhaustion. So I actually got this from several of the moms that I interviewed, just the actual, the mental labor, the weight, the worry. So guys, parents listening, take your emotional labor that you're dealing with right now with your uh, children and in your parenting with the day-to-day slog and the weight of responsibility that we carry every day and the mom guilt, guilt, mom guilt that you suffer. (laughs) Multiply that by a gazillion is what I'm getting from these moms. And and guess what? They don't actually want your pity. (laughs) They, They want awareness. They want understanding. They want acceptance. They just yeah. want their kids to be part of. I've, exactly. I've heard that from every last one of them. Um, our next caller is Natalie. And um, she, oh, I love what she, what she brought up. And, and that's that she has two children. Um, Ruben um, is the kid who has autism. He is six and a half. And Liam, who is four. So Ruben was diagnosed with autism when he was three his parents suspected when he wasn't talking much that there could be an issue. Um, he was making up words for things. Um, one of those things that uh, my child does, he doesn't have autism, but like that's not a sign. It is a sign, but it's not like I can't diagnose my kid on yeah, that. It's anyway. not like a clear, defined. Yeah. It could just be a toddler. <laughs> but that was one of the things, that was one of the signs for Ruben, is he was making up words for things, but wasn't talking much otherwise. He had strange attachments to miscellaneous objects like Natalie's hairdryer. Um, and the pediatrician told them, again with a gut feel here, the pediatrician told them that it was because of bilingual input with an Afrikaans-speaking father and an English-speaking mother that was causing his speech delay. Um, they were also told that Ruben maintained eye contact, so he looked people in the eye, um, which means it was impossible for him to have autism. Again, this is a spectrum. It's a circular yeah. spectrum. There's a lot to it. It doesn't necessarily mean that because your kid doesn't maintain eye contact that they have autism or the other way around, you know? Again, Natalie had a gut feel and he was diagnosed. Now at seven years old, Ruben's vocab is still limited. Um, he's still in nappies. Natalie mentions to me that this is a sensory issue more than anything else and that they're working with an OT to overcome that. Um but that's not what I... So I've given you his background. What I want to focus on about Natalie's story is how we um, often forget to consider an autistic child's siblings. Have a listen. So 
Um, I was about, I think about six or seven months pregnant uh, with my second son when um, Reuben was diagnosed with autism. And I often think if I had found out earlier, if we would have even risked having a second pregnancy, um, just because uh, there's a definite higher chance that um, if you have a boy, that they could also be on the spectrum. So... But I'm so oh, I'm so grateful we had Liam. So far, so good. Um, I really enjoy um, all the experiences we're getting with him that we never had with Ruben. It's actually given us the best of both worlds. We really get to appreciate every little thing. Um, because Ruben was first, um, we've been able to appreciate um, all the little things that Liam is now starting to do. He's also really amazing with Ruben, like today when Ruben was throwing a Magnum and a Tropica across the shop, including his two cars. Liam ran and fetched the cars and he just remained so calm and, and not bothered at all and helped me, you know, go out the shop this little little man and got into the car and then said to me where's his ice cream and I hadn't even thought about that poor little boy um, so we ended up having to um, stop at, uh, at another shop just so I could run in to get um, Liam his own ice cream he's a super amazing little brother for Reuben Yo, so that one has me crying a little. I, I knew that one would get you, Shani. <laughs> Sorry, I'll just uh, gather myself. So what I wanted to ask you, Vicky, I'm listening to that mom um, and I just think, I wonder what your advice would be to a parent with multiple children, one having autism one and, and the others not. And Because I think on a daily basis as a mom, how I battle the mom guilt and how, because Joshua is just generally more demanding than his sister, um, I tend to feel guilty all the time because I just, I don't neglect her, but I'm just like, okay, you just stand there and get on with it while I attend to your brother who's driving me nuts. And that's just us in a, like, everyday family dynamic. I can only imagine, I, I mean, I don't know, she doesn't say that she feels guilty about she did mention, well, I, I didn't even think about you and your ice cream. But what would your advice be to a mom like that? Because I can imagine that it gets you down all the time. What do you do? How do you navigate that daily? It's it's a tricky one again. I mean, there's there's nothing easy about autism often. Um, and a lot of our parents struggle with their siblings naturally because, as you said, it's, you know, the, the more demanding child will naturally get more attention. And it's not because that's how you plan things. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. Um, and so often our parents will say, you know, we're spending so much time with this kid because their needs are greater and we feel like we're neglecting the other kid. Um, we've started a sibling support group at Autism South Africa where parents can come and our parents are taken to a group counselling session with our counsellor and the autistic kids are looked after by uh, teachers of autistic children so that there's understanding and acceptance there. And we then focus that day is primarily for the siblings so that the siblings are getting that attention, that they are getting feel that, that feeling of, oh, hang on, it's not always all about them. Um, there's been numerous studies on siblings of kids with special needs and kids with disabilities. And what's really interesting is those kids have greater resilience, they have greater empathy, greater understanding. So they seem to grow up as really well-adjusted individuals, which that's is amazing. So wonderful, um, actually. The siblings. The eh? siblings. Yeah. Obviously, that's not always the case. You know, mm. you're going to get kids that are going to, um, what's the word I'm looking for, feel 
Victimized, victimized, or I had a tough life. Exactly. I never got because I was just kind of like a byfield. I was, yeah, left to the sidelines, you know. Um, so you get both sides of, of the coin. But for me, it's important to say to parents, don't forget about that kid as well. You know, remember that they are there. And it's difficult. It's really, really tricky. It's not easy to always remember that. Mm. Um, but to try and, and particularly if you're dealing with quite severe disabilities, it's to also try and, and give that child a sense of normality as well. Mm. Um, you know, I know families who, and they say they feel incredibly guilty about it, but in order for them to give that other child that sense of normality, they'll go out for a day without the child who has the disability so that they can get that sense of normality for that kid. And But the guilt there is also incredibly yeah, high. Now, you are now you've left that other kid at home. So it's it's a really, really tricky one to, to do. And I think explaining to that sibling that, yes, your brother or your sister does have a disability, and I'm, I'm saying disability in general here because I don't think this is just for autism. I think it's for any kid yes. with a special need or a disability. They're unable to cope with exactly. life as you would, for exactly. example. So explaining it to those siblings and saying, you know, guys, we need to do this because your sibling or your brother or your sister is not the same as you and that's okay mm. um, but yeah these kids do seem to grow up with I things. watched a video once I cannot remember where or how long ago it was but you saying this now reminds me of it and I remember watching the end of it and just sobbing and it was the sibling who said that because I, I count myself lucky because I have this sibling who navigates mm. life differently than most of us I have the ability to see life from a different perspective and they have Lovely. taught me so much I'm gonna stop I'm gonna stop talking <laughs> so that was quite a one that's yeah. really that's actually really lovely mm. yeah Wow. I have to say from a mom's perspective, not mine, um, Judy, our previous caller with the two boys with Asperger's, um, with having seven kids, I asked her, <laughs> and this I couldn't include um, in, in the snippet that I gave you guys, but she, I mean, she's got seven kids, two with special needs. What did she do? She's got a toddler, right? Now, but back when she was raising all the older kids, there were six at a go, and I asked her, well, how did you balance that and sh what she said was luckily there were six days in a week uh, so well seven da seven days in a week one day of rest and six days each kid got one day sure. <laughs> um, so that was how she navigated that and then she also has written a blog post she's a, a po quite a popular mom blogger um, called fun mama sa um, and she she's an educator, and she homeschools her little. She homeschooled all her other six children, and homeschools her two year old Hamish. <laughs> I love I love this kid. He's like a little Roy copy, and he's just so <laughs> spunky. Anyways, so she homeschools Hamish, and she, um, you know, kind of provides insights into sort of home education and what you can do with your toddler. It's, it's really insightful. But she wrote a blog the other day on how she doesn't love her kids equally. She loves them all fairly. And now don't, I haven't read it, so don't jump to, to any conclusions. And again, don't hang this poor woman by, by the stake. By these, This is a no judges zone, listeners. But she, go and have a look at Fun Mama's blog where she says, you know, at the moment she's got seven kids. Some of them are adults. So she loves them fairly, obviously. Hamish, right now, is a toddler, mm. and he gets most of her attention. Uh. And there was a time where she's, she's divorced, she remarried since, but some of her kids were living with dad, and she could focus then on the two boys with Asperger's. Mm. You know, um, so she, she's 
taken herself off the hook. She's cut herself some slack. I love that. That's what and we're about. Gone, right. that's, yes. that's what this podcast is about. Yes. She's gone, you know, I, I cannot give you equal time. I yeah. cannot give you... And that's okay. It is okay. And As moms, we're looking at that horrified going, no, how can you not love your children equally? She's we shouldn't like, whoa, put whoa, whoa. ourselves under that kind of pressure. Yeah, absolutely. I actually love that. I love my children fairly, not equally. I yeah. think that's really, really great. So, of course, some of your resources and a lot of your time is going to go into your special needs kid. Mm-hmm. But is there a day of the week that you can give one-on-one attention to the other siblings. Yeah. I suppose it also boils down to, again, just do what gets you through exactly. the day. If today's a harder day with this sibling, tomorrow's a new day and we will tackle it the best That's way it. we can. One step in front of the other. And it's, it's one thing that I say to my parents is don't, don't always focus on what's going to happen next year. Focus on the here and now mm. because that's what you need to do to you get yourself through. You need to get through this, yeah. Exactly. I love that there's support groups and yeah. and that that is the kind of support that these parents and siblings have available. It's amazing. So our next caller, she definitely takes um, one step at a time for sure. I love this woman. Her name is Bronwyn. Um, mom, mom of three. Her um, last little lamb right now um, is... Three and a half months, I think she said. Anyway, so her eldest, Cody, has autism as well as auditory processing disorder. Auditory sensory processing disorder, which is how his autism diagnosis came about. He went for hearing tests, etc. And, you know, one doctor to another and eventually um, she he was diagnosed. So initially they were told that Cody's hearing was good enough for him to be able to start speaking. She put him into a play school in the mornings to see if some social interaction would help, but it didn't. After speech therapy, changing schools, things seemed to get better, but again, he wasn't where he needed to be in terms of his milestones and speaking. Um, It was then that Bronwyn and her husband did some further investigation and eventually he was diagnosed with autism at four and a half And within a month of his diagnosis and at a different school, I think at this point, he was talking. Uh, Today, uh, Bronwyn tells me Cody's vocab is amazing, um, but he struggles with pronunciation. What did she say? It sounds like you're talking to a little garden gnome. Oh my goodness, that's adorable. (laughs) That's gorgeous. (laughs) And this kid, he is so good looking. He looks like a Cody. He looks like a Cody. Cody sounds like the jock of the school. (laughs) Such a cute kid. Um. So he struggles with pronunciation and the auditory sensory processing d- disorder has him reeling at times. He'll, on, a, on, a, on a sensitive day, um, he will be holding his ears, a, a car driving past will get to him and, uh, you know, people won't understand. I was telling you guys about how they were at a wimpy, um, which is how I got to know this mom. I think I have the story right. They were at a wimpy and around them, um, another kid was having a birthday and the staff was singing happy birthday uh, to the other kid and Cody just couldn't handle it and he was he was covering his ears and that and she got some judgment from the people in the wimpy and um, yeah, you don't want to fuck with this mom. Yeah. Let me just tell you. <laughs> with any autism mom. <laughs> we are tired. We are exactly. trying our best. <laughs> yeah. And we don't need you idiots. Telling us that our children are misbehaving. Anyways, a Bronwyn story with Cody really drove home the point for me that autism is invisible. 
It's yeah. an invisible doesn't condition. doesn't look a specific way. Because exactly. yeah. I can only imagine with the kid being so handsome and society associating autism probably with a disability or something, he just looks like every other kid yep. in the room. Exactly. Yep. So have a listen to what Bronwyn has to say. Hi, um, I'm Bronwyn. I am a mom of three boys. My eldest, Cody, is almost seven and he has been diagnosed um, on the spectrum. Um, he also has auditory processing disorder. Yeah, on those on those really bad sensory days, you know, even, a, even a car driving past him can cause him to break down in tears and hold his ears. Um, so of course, with that, when he's in a loud, in a lot of noise and a loud situation, he kind of withdraws into himself. So yeah, but from that, you know, with the, with, the, with withdrawing and and um, and the the speech thing, it's it's it has had a knock on his self confidence. You know, he and his and believing in himself. You know, we try to get him to do things, you know, to try new experiences and. Um, he's just, he doesn't think he can do it. So he doesn't even try. Um, I think he, he feels that he's stupid, which is far from the truth. Um, you know, we've had, had an, an incident last, last year, the, well, yeah, probably about the end of last year that he just, he would cry and said that there was something wrong with his brain because um, it just wasn't working properly, which is heartbreaking. As for what I wish people... <laughs> my child is autistic. He's not contagious. He's not misbehaving. He's not sick. I'm not a horrible mom. I'm not a useless mom. He just... He processes things differently. That's what he does. He processes things differently. And there are days where both my husband and I get so frustrated. And I've got to stop myself you know, from shouting because he is unable to do something that is just so easy to us. Um, you know, and just remember that it, it, it's easy for us. But, it, you know, the way he processes, processes things... Um, it could be difficult for him. So I just, I, I want people to understand that autistic children and people in general, they just, they still feel things. They may not be able to express their feelings or even show their feelings, but they still feel. They hear when you're being nasty to them. They feel that. Just as someone else who gets bullied, they feel all of that. Just parents, educate your children. Edu educate yourself and educate your children. You know? These people are just like us. That is it. They're just like us. They feel things differently, though. Or they, they express themselves differently. So just educate yourself, educate your children, and try to raise decent humans. Yeah, I mean, there are worse things that someone can be than being autistic. Just raise decent human beings, and hopefully everybody will just 
you know, it won't be such a huge thing when you find out that someone else is on the spectrum and there will just be that sense of understanding, you know. Sure, that, wow. hit, that hit home for me, I must say, because I keep thinking about, yes, so whatever, I'm sure what, what your association does is about creating awareness and helping people understand the condition and, and that there are ways to, to welcome those people and make them not feel isolated. But um, I think she spoke such truth to me now because if we as soon as we can, educate our children about neurodiversity and how complex it actually is, they might be more compassionate mm. to other people in society. I have a question though, Vicky. I think about myself as a, a first-time parent. With Joshua, I was exceptionally anxious all the time. Wherever I had to go, I just felt severe anxiety if I had to go somewhere, whether it would be because the pram, I'm scared that the pram won't open or what if he starts screaming in public or whatever, all of those things, just normal things. Um, but I had such anxiety about doing anything. And I just think about this mom's experience. I mean, what would your advice be? Because you can't avoid public places. You you go on holiday, you stop at the Wimpy to eat something. You, I suppose also it depends on the family. You don't want to stop your life from happening because and I suppose you have to gauge your child and what kind of day you're having with your autistic child because if it's a specifically challenging day, she mentioned that they have different days with the auditory um, thing. What would your advice be on that to, to, to not have anxiety about it or just to try and go at your life normally? And then the second question I have for you is, she mentioned her child um, feels like there's something wrong with him and he, he has no confidence. How do you continue to try instill that confidence in your autistic child without feeling defeated or without letting defeat get the better yeah. of you so your first question is you know and you mentioned being a first-time mom and how anxious you were about almost the, the I don't want to say the mundane things but about the normal things you know opening the pram um, and this mom is anxious about things that because other people are going to judge her, basically. Mm, mm. Um, and what we've done as an organization is, is we've actually made their business-sized cards that say, my child has autism on them, and these are some of the signs. And, you know, basically, please don't judge us because we're autistic. Mm. Um, but go and learn about the condition. And so we've handed these out to parents and said, use these. Well, in that moment. That's amazing. When you, I love that. Yeah. Sorry when, to interrupt you. I'm just thinking of that moment exactly. where an oak is being an asshole in the womb. And Read he's it. like, your kid's so naughty. Instead of yelling cuss words at him, just exactly. shove that card under his nose. Why don't you and feel like a dick now? Watch the shame. Yeah, <laughs> watch exactly. the shame. I love that idea. So, you know, it just it takes that burden off parents and it gives them an opportunity to go, you know what, stuff you this is what I'm dealing with and go and educate yourself and learn more about it. Um, and we've had a few parents use them and say, thank you so very much. I it love helped. that because it also educates people. Yes. It's not because you could stand there in the wimpy and shout at this guy. Imagine if you were trapped in a body that didn't want to do what you wanted to do. Or imagine if you felt like this. Exactly. There's no time. No, it's no. just chaos. Your kid's screaming. Your priority is your child. Take the card and Shut the exactly. fuck up, Susan. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly it. So, you know, that, that for me is really nice. <laughs> 
Okay, so that's a nice one. I love yeah. that. Okay. Um, and what's nice is it's got our organization's logo on it. So it's also they're not just your own homemade card that you're handing it's out. Official. Like it's yeah, actually it's official. Not like, okay, yeah. Where can people get this card? If they go onto our website, um, my contact details are on the website and you can just pop me an email and, and I will gladly Lovely. assist with okay. that. Hit up Vicky if you're looking to get yeah. one of those cards. And then um, confidence, how do you... So I think that comes also back to what we were, we were speaking about earlier with regards to how do you tell your child that they're autistic. Um, and there's a psychologist in Australia called Professor Tony Atwood, and he's, he explains it really nicely in that find almost heroes with autism. You know, mm. find the famous people who are autistic. And you sit down and you say to your child, look, these people are also autistic, but look what they've achieved. So don't let society label you and don't let that limit yes. what you believe yourself to be capable of. Exactly. And look at the child's strengths and say, but look at what you're good at. Mm. And, and, you know, build their confidence up slowly by looking at their strengths and what they're good at and also showcasing them these people that have achieved so much regardless of their autism or and probably because they're autistic they've achieved so much have you got some examples for us um there's quite a few famous people and and particularly if we look at hollywood there's a lot of them coming out now that they're receiving their diagnoses late in adulthood so um anthony hopkins has just received his diagnosis a few months ago um eminem is another one so there's a lot out there interesting that speech is such a big part of being on the autism scale and Eminem just vomits words like at some pace (laughs) it's incredible absolutely (laughs) yeah that's pretty cool I love that find a hero that your child can Can resonate to to. exactly oh amazing um I have a hero he's our last uh caller and I I would hesitate to say he's our most important caller because he's an adult living with autism. We've hit up, this is a parenting show, so we hit up with a few moms and he heard from them to try and broaden us, our understanding of what they go through. But very importantly, Vicky, you taught me that um, it's important not to overlook adults living with autism. Hello, you don't cure it, you don't grow out of it. Mm-hmm. You're, that is the way your brain is mm-hmm. wired, right? And you don't, you don't, it's not like a, you die at a certain age when you have autism. Like <laughs> yeah. you, you don't reach adulthood. Exactly. Yeah. It's not how it works. Yeah. So, so talk to me, why do you think, Vicky, a lot of people just forget about autistic adults? I think one of the, the biggest issues is that when you hear the word autism, you immediately think of children. You, we don't generally, and I think that comes back to research and what's been portrayed in the media, um, but we don't think of the adults. We think autism and we think children because we think of it as a child with special needs or a developmental disability and we forget that these children grow up and all children grow up and they all become adults and autistic children are no different. Mm. Um, so I think there's that and I also think there's been this understanding that autistic people, it, it's a very stereotypical thing. And if you are autistic, you sit in the corner and you rock and you flap and that's all you do. Oh my gosh. So that there's no conception of these adults actually have something to say, that they've got a part to play in society when they really, really do, um, regardless of the level of their autism, for want of a better word. So I think there's lots of elements to overlooking adults on the and spectrum. I suppose also not all autism... Uh, individuals are nonverbal. 
So, um, and maybe they might be un- non-verbal for a stage in their life, but they d- they do develop being able to communicate verbally. Well, as with meal. as with Emil, you'll hear from him now. He was non-verbal until the age of fourteen. Fourteen. Um, yeah. So let's hear about it, Emil. We're going to hear from him now. Uh, he is a twenty-six-year-old PhD student who studies at my alma mater, the University of Pretoria. Emil completed his master's degree last year, where he specialized in ASD, autism spectrum disorder. Um, for his honors degree the year before, he specialized in wait for it inclusive education. This is giving me goosebumps. I want to cry <laughs> just hearing that. Wait I till you meet him. Yeah, oh, no, amazing. I don't think I'll be able to cope. I think I'll just plat in a little ball and sob. <laughs> so Emil was diagnosed with ASD at four and a half years. A preschool teacher recognized some signs of the disorder, such as problems communicating, not being able to sustain eye contact, halted speech, and aggression. He just didn't have an outlet. And he, he tells me he would go into the bathroom and just tear down posters. Um, so Emil's parents, uh, who are very supportive by the sounds of it, they were referred to a speech therapist who diagnosed him with autism spectrum disorder. He continued to see a speech therapist, an educational psychologist, and an occupational therapist. You can imagine twice a day seeing those um, specialists, or twi- not twice a day, twice a week, three specialists. Firstly, the time. Secondly, the resources and the amount of money I these parents even spend, begin guys. To imagine no. the financial burdens—a whole nother story. Yeah, I was just going to say we can do a whole other episode on absolutely. that. Absolutely, we talk about the emotional support and that kind of thing. But good heavens, yeah. the expenses these parents mm-hmm. must have. Yeah. So he tells me, I think from from when he was diagnosed at four and a half to fourteen years, he saw an OT, an educational psychologist, and a speech therapist. He was nonverbal and only, as I said, started communicating out loud from age 14. Nevertheless, um, Emil's parents, I love this, encouraged him to do extra murals to develop both fine and gross motor skills, including pottery, tennis, and swimming. So they didn't say, it's fine, my love. You, you have a disorder. You come home and zone in, put on your earphones and just stay in your own world. They did not box him up. They encouraged him and he just flourished. And he probably makes beautiful pottery as well. This yeah. is just crazy. Yeah. He's probably <laughs> artistic and creative and can run around on a tennis court. <laughs> his story is amazing. I was just so interested to hear his take on what could be done for autistic people today. Have a listen. My name is Emil Goos. I am an autistic adult. My limitations would be communication. Communication is a is a very um, is a significant part. Um, communication uh, was um, is still a challenge. You know, um, like I said, you know, if I repeat what I said, you know, I was nonverbal to the age of fourteen years, so I I, I could only portray copied speech. You know. And some of the skills that occur spontaneous for an typical child that does not occur naturally for me. And um, yes, so communication is still a struggle, but through constant exposure, you know, I learned to communicate and I learned the skills. I want people to know that, you know, children or individuals or no autistic are unique and they can achieve their goals. You know that, and they can be fully participants in society. There is this common misconception that children or individuals on the autism spectrum cannot learn. And, you know, we must change that because, you know, children on the autism spectrum are unique, we are intelligent, you know, and they are committed. 
and the other misconceptions that children on the autism cannot learn. And my one of my aims as a South Advocate and also as an NSC member of Autism South Africa is to ensure that children on the autism spectrum be enrolled into mainstream primary schools, mainstream schools, um, you know, and, you know, and so that they can get the same opportunities as an typical child. And then what is the message? I want the message is hope, you know, that, you know, you can, that your child can achieve their goals and please support your child, you know, through different stages. First, get support for yourself. Early um, support system, get a support system, whether it's your family or is it as from a psychologist. Get a support system in place to support you. Um, you know, the, the advice from this, from, from teachers, from occupation, speech therapists, assisted my parents a lot. And, um, and yes, and never to give up hope. Stimulate your child as, you know, as, stimulate your child as constantly as possible you know, do not give up hope you know um because the more the more exposures are the more skills he learns on cognitive emotional social level i love that so much <laughs> oh that's so heartwarming to me you know what he mentioned he mentioned about uh, educating um children on the autism spectrum in mainstream schools mm -hmm. and i on the one side, Vicky, I want to ask you about this because I can only imagine that teachers uh, in mainstream schools might be, first of all, fearful that they might not yeah. be equipped with the skills to help that child cope. Secondly, I can only imagine because kids are mean mm -hmm. and it will be difficult for a child in a mainstream school to um, survive or persevere that scenario in those scenarios because kids will mock them and be Absolutely. mean towards them and that kind of thing. They have so much to battle already and then to have that part of their life as well. But by the same token, those should not be reasons why a person on the autism spectrum should be denied equal opportunities. And I come from a place, my niece suffered uh, an illness, a stroke, and so my brother and her family and his family immigrated because she, there was nothing wrong with her mental mm. and cognitive skills, but she was not allowed in a mainstream school in South Africa. Um, they couldn't find a mainstream school that would take her because they, they diagnosed her as a special needs child, but only her motor functions were affected by the stroke. So having thought of this, every single parent can't immigrate to a country where they are tolerant of these things. So what do we do in mainstream education to help facilitate that? It's a massive thing at the moment. Um, in South Africa, we have this huge tendency right now to move towards a more inclusive society, to move towards uh, more inclusive schooling systems. Um, and yet I can tell you now on a daily basis, I get phone calls from parents saying, I know my child can cope in a mainstream environment, but the school is not supporting it. They won't allow it. I'm hearing that from all of the parents that I interviewed and whoever yeah. I come across, even parents whose kids have SPD, sensory processing yep. disorder, not autism, yes. just struggle to touch paper or um, sit, be simulated in a very loud environment. Mm -hmm. They need a more quieter, uh, quieter space. A teacher, the teachers have told one of my friends that they need to take their kid out of the school, they, have, they can't help them. Mm -hmm. 
it's 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 how? common I and it's horrific. It is horrific um, because we're supposed to have this beautiful, inclusive society. No, like I don't want to slam teachers. They teachers work really hard, but there is a fundamental fault with South Africa's education system. Absolutely. How do we? I can understand you mentioned earlier. Often we fight with government for these opportunities or rights for these individuals. So I can imagine that this is one of your ongoing battles yes. and fights. I just, I'm trying to be devil's advocate here as well because mm, sure. our schools are heavily, absolutely, o- overly populated. And in many of the schools, there is lack of funds and um, uh, teachers are getting paid peanuts. Yep. And so, as it is to have a kid of, or to have a class of like 30 to 40 uh, learners mm-hmm. um, when kids act up, it's difficult to give them individual attention or to get them to, to excel or even just ex- uh, achieve the grade average. So I can understand the, the resistance to it because. And there's serious frustration with that, yes. And I can imagine that schools also feel frustrated, yeah. frustrated and they're like, I don't mean to be a dick, but genuinely we just cannot. We, we uh, actually can't cope anymore. And we can't give you. We can't do your child justice because yeah. we don't have teachers who are going to, when your kid has a difficult moment or a meltdown, take him aside, spend individual time with him because there's 40 other hooligans who exactly. just behave unruly. It, it is. It's, it's a massive problem. Um, you know, and we have done, sure, we have trained so many teachers throughout the country. Um, and even at the schools where we've trained, we're still hitting serious issues. And I think that's part of the reason. Our schools are overpopulated. And we've got all these wonderful documents and policies in place that say you can only have X amount of kids in your class, mm. but it's not being followed and it's not being stuck to. And there's different waiting systems as well for children with special needs. So a kid with autism, for example, has a waiting of six. So that basically means that a child on the spectrum is the equivalent to six children, neurotypical children. Um, but not not even that's being stuck to. So you will still end up with a teacher with like... 30 kids in the class and then two or three autistic kids. So they're dealing with almost 50 children in their classroom, essentially, if we do the maths and we get really analytical about it. Um, and our, our teachers don't have the equipment or the tools to cope with kids with mm. disabilities. They're not trained. They're often taken from your mainstream environments. This is in government schools, placed into full service schools and said, right now you will teach children with disabilities. And that's not for everybody and that's Mm. not for every teacher. I've met teachers who've come to me and they've said, you know, thank you for the training, but this isn't for me. I want to teach children in mainstream schools Mm. that are neurotypical. And I get that. Mm. You know, everyone's different. Everyone's got different specialities. You have to recognize your strengths. Exactly. Because you will only be able to provide quality education if you are honest with yourself. That's exactly it. And, you know, there's there's no judgment of those teachers who say, I can't do this. Mm. That's absolutely fine. Um, And I think there's a fine line between going, okay, yes, you can only teach those kids, but we also need to start being accepting of kids with disabilities Mm. as well. Um, so it's it's a hard one. It's such such a hard one, and I I would love for every school to be inclusive in South Africa. Mm. You know, for schools to go, okay, yes, we're dealing with autistic children, then that's okay. We can cope. We've got the tools. We've got the equipment. But it also comes down to people's perceptions and attitudes, mm. and that's a massive problem. Mm. Mm. And that's that's exactly what we're trying. And it comes to back change, to yeah. let's teach our children to yes. be decent human beings. Yeah. Exactly. Regardless of disabilities, because those kids will grow up to be adults who run the world, and they will be in these positions, providing education and assisting individuals who are on the autism spectrum, and any other challenges. Yeah.
Very, very true. Guys, we learned so much today. Such a lot. And I, and I can't thank you enough, Vicky, for being here in studio with us, for taking time thank out of you. a very, very busy week. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that the Great Equalizer could also be part of Autism Acceptance Month and do our part in, in opening the discourse around normalizing neurodiversity and embracing it. Thank um, you. And also a big thank you and shout out to our moms and to Emil. Mm. Um, for just sharing their journeys with us. I, I don't think any, and we, I mean, we have some funny voice notes and, and listeners calling in with their stories, depending on what our context is, but no one has been so open and willing to share information as much as the autism community. Which just goes to show how hungry or yes. how big a need there is for them to have a voice. They're unheard, yeah. absolutely. And if we can help with that, then yeah, it makes my heart warm. Yeah. <laughs> Bottom line for you, Vicky, what, what, if anybody were to take something away from, from this, from Autism Acceptance Month, from this episode today, what would it be? Um, so for parents, it's something that I always say, and Emil mentioned it in, in when he spoke as well, it's make sure that you have support as a parent. Make sure that you also take time out for yourself um, because there's that saying that says you can't always pour, well, you can't pour from an empty cup, and that's so, so true. Making sure that, that you take that time out, that you take five minutes a day to just be yourself, you know, if it's just going for a walk, doing something that you enjoy so that you can replenish yourself because that's the way you're going to support your child is mm. by making sure that you are looked after and you're okay. Um, and Emil mentioned it, whether it's a psychologist or a family or whatever it is, have support because mm. you need it. Um, it. It's very, very important. So for, for parents, it would be that. Um, and, and for you know parents who are struggling with getting that diagnosis across or understanding their child better, Go and listen to the autistic community. Go and listen to those adults that are living with autism because that is where you're going to get the best advice. Mm. I love that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Sure, guys. As always, we want to carry on this discussion. So um, DM us a voice note on Instagram at The Great Equalizer Podcast. Um, or record one on your phone and hit us up over email, thegreatequalizer.za at gmail.com. And guys, your support is super important to us. We say this every week we talk to you. You have no idea how much your love and support, every single share, every single like to our posts, how much it means to us. And um, just to use this episode as an example, the more you share it, the more you listen to it, and the more you share it with your friends and family and people that you know in the community, this message about autism acceptance and neurodiversity can travel so much further and we can serve our listeners um, and we can have a purpose with what we do. Also, just a note, these episodes never expire. Mm. So you can share them. And um, on request from a listener, I have actually made our episodes downloadable. The latest one, at least, uh, from episode 23, which is Burnout with Michelle Pitts, is now downloadable on SoundCloud and I know is also downloadable on 
um, Apple Podcasts. I'll have to cross-check with Spotify. But hit me up and let me know what's going to make it easier for you guys to listen to us. Cause yeah, to consume our media. We want you to be able to access it. Yeah, and, and don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts or rate us on Facebook. That's what gets us seen. That's what makes us uh, popular in the, in the world of the algorithm. <laughs> and the more we see, the better this podcast will do as always, and the better we can do for you. Mm -hmm. Remember, for the first three weeks in May, we'll be taking a bit of a breather. We will be back, though, so don't miss us too much, y'all. Listen to some older episodes of The Pain is Just Too Much. As I said, the episodes (laughs) never expire, so go back, have a listen, and as always, hit us up and let us know if there's anything you want to hear from us. Just like that mom who told me, Sam, I don't want to use up my data while I'm driving, how can I download the episodes? I've now made the episodes downloadable. So when you're in a Wi-Fi hotspot, just line your episodes up so that you can yeah, listen to download them. Download it tonight for tomorrow morning's drive in the car, the school run or something. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not with the kids in the car because no, we no, do no, say no, fuck no, a yeah. lot. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe with some headphones in. <laughs> yeah. So guys, um, sure. That is it for this week. Um, yeah. Until next time, (laughs) keep Keep your your mom game strong. For more on today's show, please head on over to our website at www.thegreatequalizerza.com or catch us on Instagram at The Great Equalizer Podcast or hit us up on Facebook. If you want something a little more personal, email us at thegreatequalizer.za at gmail.com and we'll get back to you.